welcome to worship today. We have been talking about a really important topic that the church doesn't talk often enough about, and that's the idea of work, of our labor. Uh, it is an amazing thing that we're able to kind of separate those worlds and think about what we do here as religious stuff and what we do on Monday morning as a secular thing, and, and somehow the two don't come together. But that is not God's idea. It was not God's plan. God's intention was that as a working God, we would be a working people and that our work would be our opportunity to flourish. Part of the, the way we flourish in life is, is through our work. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a definition that comes to us as we pull together the, the biblical principles about work. And it's a pretty simple definition, but here it is again. We're going to wrap it up today. Work is doing something with what God gives you so that the world thrives and Jesus is glorified. Would you say that? Let's read it together. Here we go. Work is doing something with what God gives you so that the world thrives and Jesus is glorified. You know, that, do you realize that how countercultural that definition of work really is? That is, it runs completely counter to what our culture would say about work. Uh, it has nothing in the definition about how big our paycheck is or a sense of personal fulfillment or a sense of identity or of padding my retirement uh, account or getting a good corner office or making my way up the career ladder. It doesn't have anything in there at all. None of the stuff that we would normally associate with the reasons that we work. No, this definition, this biblical definition of work is other-oriented. Do you see that? It is outward-oriented. It turns our eyes away from all that I accomplish, all that accrues to me because of my work, and instead asks, how can the world be touched and blessed by this? How can God be touched and blessed by what I do? It is God who has given us our gifts. You know, every unique set of combination of gifts and abilities out there, and each one of you has these. This is the amazing thing. Every one of you is, it's, is utterly different and unique. And those, those gifts and those talents and those passions and then the place that God has put you in order to practice those. All of that is a, a part of this calling. All of that is a part of God's calling upon you to do something with those God gifts so that the world thrives. Last week we talked about a thriving world. Obviously our own family, our own circumstances, our own future is part of the world that we hope to thrive. And a part that each of us has a particular responsibility for. But as I shared last week, if I do not care for a world that is bigger than my boundary lines and my bank accounts and my retirement fund, then all the success in the world will never give me the sense of joy that God intends for me to have in my work. I will be stripped of the greatest uh, joys that God intends if it's all about me. This morning we're going to wrap up this definition as we wrap up our Blue Collar God series, as a matter of fact. And we're going to do that by giving you an opportunity to ask maybe the most important question that we have asked about our work for all of these five weeks. And here is that question. Is Jesus glorified in my work? Is Jesus glorified in my work? It's the last little phrase of our definition. We work so that the world would thrive and that Jesus will be glorified. So is Christ glorified in your work? He can be. He wants to be. He longs to be. He deserves to be. Is he? 
There are a few kind of jobs that would fall outside of what the scriptures would allow just because they're not appropriate. I mean, so if you're a prostitute, if you're a thief, if you're a drug pusher, it's going to be hard for you to thrive and glorify the world, to thrive and Jesus to be glorified if you do that kind of work. But aside from that, virtually every other job that could be represented in this, in this room would be an opportunity for Jesus to be glorified. The way that you plunge a toilet, the way that you change diapers, the way you serve a drink, the way you develop a budget, the way you put out fires, the way you fire an employee, the way you study for an exam, the way that you draw blood, the way you try a case. All of these jobs can and should bring glory to Jesus. They should cause others to say good things about Christ. That's what it means to glorify Jesus. It causes others to say good things about Jesus in a culture and a world that does not want to say good things about Christ. So our text for this morning is a very short one. It's Colossians 3.17. You have John 3.16 mentioned. This is Colossians 3.17. It would be a good one for us to memorize too. And here's how it goes. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's say that together. Go. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, would you take this moment, these words, our reflection upon this one verse of Scripture, and would you stir in our hearts the belief that our work, our job, could be an opportunity to give glory to you, especially if we've never thought of it in those terms before. You can do this, Lord, and so we ask that you do it. Amen. How many of you ever owned one of these bracelets? Remember this? How many of you ever had one of those? Remember them? They were all over the... Only three of you. I'm a little surprised. Uh, Apparently, they were all over the place except for this group of people. How do you translate those initials? Well, so you knew about it, even if you didn't wear one, you knew what it meant. And um, here, so translation, what would Jesus do? I would say this verse that we just read in Colossians, it's kind of the what would Jesus do verse, isn't it? Whatever you do and where did he do it, all in the name of Jesus. Think about what that means. Paul's saying, I want you to do whatever you do, do it as if you are Jesus' representative in that room, in that place. Do it as if you were Jesus' agent. Do it as if you are his steward. That now is exactly what the word steward really means. A person who acts on behalf of Christ. The word person who acts with the, the authority of Christ. Do it as if Jesus were right there looking over your shoulder. How, that, that's how you'd want to do it. Do it as if Jesus were doing it himself. That's what Paul's saying. Whatever you do, do it as if you are doing it on behalf of Christ. Because in fact you are. That's a pretty inclusive phrase, whatever you do in word or deed. So it's, it's not just about work, but surely whatever must include our work, shouldn't it? 40, 50, 60 hours a week, that's part of our whatever, right? Whatever you do in word, he says. Boy, this is an important one. How much of Scripture has been written about controlling the tongue? He says every word you speak ought to bring glory to Jesus, the way that you speak to your on, on your job, the promises you make on your job, the things you say about your boss or about your 
customer or about your employee. Only say things that Jesus would say. Anyone blow that command this week? I did. Man, it's so hard, isn't it, to make sure that we speak only words that bring honor to Christ. But it's not just our words that he says ought to give glory to Jesus. He says, also, everything you do. So other than everything we say, everything we do, not much we have to do to give honor to Christ. Paul's saying, talk is cheap. How many of you have known Christians who talk to talk? They were, they were as, as religious as you could be. They put on a good Jesus front, but they were absolute hypocrites. Anyone ever known someone like that? They say that that's the number one reason most people don't want to follow Christ is because they've known people who do and don't, right? But, but even beyond that, when you think about our work, how many of employees or fellow workers have you known who play the Jesus card? They're pretty out front about following Jesus, but they are lousy employees. Their work is shoddy. They cannot be counted on to complete their projects on time. They are lazy. They are tardy. They are sloppy. They are over-promisers and under-achievers and blame-shifters, all in the name of Jesus. You ever work with someone like that? Have you ever been that kind of an employee? Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What would Jesus do? That is the way we should work. And the way we work should enhance the reputation of Jesus. So when people look at the way we carry out our labor, they'll say, Ah, Jesus must be something. Because look how his followers work. I know there are many of you who work this way because I know a lot of you. I know the passion with which you do your work, the seriousness with which you undertake it. You view it as a, as a calling of God. You bring honor to Christ by the way you represent him in the workplace. And it makes me proud when I think about the way so many of you work. I look out, I see your faces, and I, I know the jobs you are ministering in. That's awesome. So I, I could have many of you up here today, I think, giving testimony to this. I had to pick one. And so I picked a friend that I've known for a long time, who I've seen the long game, his long game. And, and, uh, and I want you to hear his heart, his story. Rich Jasper isn't perfect. He doesn't claim to be. None of us are. But I have watched him as he sought to honor Christ on, in the workplace for more than 20 years. And so it's been a constant and steady testimony of his life. And I've seen the fruit of that faithfulness. I am blessed that he is my friend. I am blessed that he is one of our leaders, one of our elders. I'm blessed that he and Sandy are part of our lives in this congregation. And for those of you who know him, you agree. And if you don't know him, you're going to feel that way by the time we're done listening from him. It's a pretty scary thing to get up in this pulpit. And, uh, and even no matter how confident you are, how long you've been here, it, it takes some guts to stand up and do this. So I want you to tell Rich how much you love him, how proud you are of to be a part of his life, and how glad you are to hear from him this morning. Well, first of all, I am uh, honored and humbled uh, to be asked by our senior pastor and you, my sweetheart church, to share some thoughts with you about a subject that I am very passionate about. And I'm also happy to note that my uh, personal physician is in attendance today in case I am so daunted that I fall down, okay? (laughs) I see you up there, Chad. Thank you. So I've been asked to to share with you um, 
a little bit about this subject. We've been in this series for the last five weeks about work. I think it is the most important topic we ought to be talking about as believers. And I'd like to sort of share with you a little bit of my story, which obviously incorporates work into it. So here goes. I don't know if you uh, see this uh, listing up here. Hopefully you will shortly. But this is a list that if you could make it out and count up the number of jobs that I've been paid to do in my lifetime, it would number over 23. And that list of jobs would include such things as a lady's shoe salesman, a, a, a clerk uh, at a department store, a, a U.S. postal uh, employee who delivered mail and unloaded mail trucks. And the most important job that you would see on that list is the first job that I ever had. My dad and mom owned a little dry cleaning and tailoring shop in a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio, called Elmwood Place. And at the age of five, yes, parents five, that was called child labor, um, I got the opportunity to excel in the workplace even then. The job was six days a week, and if I did a good job, on Saturdays I got a bonus, which meant money, and that money was used to go to a movie where I could uh, go see a movie in the afternoon and eat popcorn and candy. It was a neat job, and I actually loved it. Now, the lessons that I learned on that first job have carried with me um, throughout my career. And as I look back, one of the things I have come to realize is that every one of the 23-plus jobs that if you saw that list uh, has been a blessing from God. Yes, a blessing. A job is a blessing. But not only a financial blessing, but also the means by which God has shaped me into the person he wanted me to be. From, for whom do you work? And you can answer that to yourself. Do you work for Boeing? Maybe the school district? Maybe the county? Maybe a health organization? Maybe a financial service organization? No. First of all, you work for God. And what does that require of us as workers? Well, Colossians 3.17, I think, pretty much sets that tone for us. It says, and whatever you do, that whatever includes all of us, whatever we do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, as I've learned about what it means to glorify Jesus in my work, whatever the job, God has seen fit to bless me beyond measure. And I'm not talking about just a financial measure. I'm talking about ways in which God's blessed me to shape me as his disciple and to invest in the lives of other people. So last Tuesday, I had this point be, be driven home to me. I had lunch with a former business colleague from my days at Russell Investments. Tiffany and I had not really seen each other. Uh, we'd only exchanged emails over a period of time. And so it was an opportunity for us to sort of catch up. 
And this was my chance to find out what's been going on in her life. And Tiffany, at that point, began to relate to me over lunch at uh, Johnny's Dock restaurant how she had become remarried. She also uh, related that she and her husband uh, are trying to start a family and have children. And they're actually seeing a fertility specialist this coming week. So I want to pause even right now for that couple and pray. Lord, even now, would you uh, impress upon Tiffany and Neil that you really care about the desires of their heart? And would you deal with their situation, Lord, right now? Well, Tiff and I began to reminisce about old times at our company. And she shared with me that she and her new husband uh, had been invited to a couples group where they were discussing, as she said, God stuff. As she told me this story, my heart was overjoyed because, frankly, while she identified with God when she and I worked together at at the company uh, during my time with her, she was far too busy trying to get ahead, make a name for herself, achieve success, Um, and didn't leave much room for God in her life. Several times during our lunch, she told me that my walk with the Lord had been an encouragement to her. The steadiness of my walk with God uh, somehow showed through to her, and she remembered the many times we discussed allowing God to occupy the throne of her life. Yes, believe it or not, that occurred in the workplace. Isn't it amazing the things that occur in the workplace when sometimes our colleagues that we work with, life is falling apart and they are searching for answers? And guess who is put into their life? You and me. Well, Sandy and I spent considerable time with Tiffany over the years. And we tried to live our life in a way that brought glory to Jesus. At the time, I was never certain my witness had made much of a difference. This past Tuesday, after eight years, I was grateful to discover that it did. Having lunch with Tiffany also reminded me of a uh, breakfast meeting that I had uh, that saved my marriage. Sandy and I had moved to uh, the Atlanta suburbs in 1977. We uh, moved into an area of Atlanta called Roswell. And when we moved there, uh, I was working for a Christian company that had as its life verse, John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Ironically, that company tried to steal the most important things in my life. I was constantly on on the road with this company, while Sandy was left at home in a new house with a new baby, uh, in a new subdivision, and no neighbors. This was a formula for disaster. I would come home on weekends exhausted, and get ready for a Monday flight and another week on the road. I was in the air uh, so much that one of our friends came up to Sandy one time and said, by the way, what airline does Rich fly for? (laughs) 
it was, this was a toxic recipe for disaster. But I justified it to my dear bride, Sandy, by saying, honey, I'm just trying to provide you uh, a, a living and achieve success, and aren't you happy with all the trappings of success uh, that we have? I was blinded by my ambition. Have you ever been there? Thank God for a man I met at Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, by the name of Roy Ludwig. As I met Roy as we were setting up church every Sunday morning and taking down church. That is, we had to put chairs up and we had to take the chairs down. And it was through that interaction that I got to know and meet Roy. He was a man who was a living example of Colossians 3.17 to me. He invited me to breakfast one morning, the first of many that he and I would have. And he became a mentor in my life. I would, by the time I got to breakfast, I would catch him reading his Bible. And he and I would meet in that restaurant and we would go through life situations. We would pray together there in that restaurant. In fact, he ended up hiring me to lead, uh, to be a leader in a firm that he started. This mentoring relationship with him uh, put, who put God and his family first, marked my life and career in ways that I didn't even realize. Years later, I was having lunch with another man in Atlanta, and I asked that man if it would be okay if I offered a prayer or a blessing before our meal, something that I do every time I'm buying lunch or having a meal. Michael, the gentleman that I was having this lunch with, reluctantly said yes. And we enjoyed lunch together. Afterwards, he told me he had never heard anyone offer thanks for a meal in his life, especially in a public setting. Could this be the whatever you do in word or deed example that, I, that we've been talking about here? I think so. Michael, um, as luck would have it, he called the national sales manager at Russell Investments. And he recommended to that man that he hire me to lead a new division at the company. Sure enough, within a few days, I received a call from this man. And, as they say, the rest is history. I joined Russell in January of 1990. We were blessed to work for a great company with many outstanding team members some of whom may be in this audience today. I put into to action the things that I learned so many years before from Roy in the workplace, a life that was balanced between family and work, work that I tried to perform in an ethical way that honored Christ. But I also put into action the things I learned around that breakfast table. I helped start a Bible study with a good friend, Craig, uh, at Russell for those who were interested and over the years, I'll bet we had over 100 uh, men participate in that time of study and prayer. I remember a young man by the name of Bruce who was an attendee at that group. And within a couple of months of him attending this Bible study at the office, I ran into his wife here in the harbor. She came up to me and was profusely telling me how much she appreciated that he was invited to this Bible study because she was already seeing the difference that it was making in his life and in his family. 
Hallelujah. I haven't seen Bruce in a couple of years, but I know that based upon reports that I get that he's doing a great job in his role, both as a husband, father, and an employee. I don't know when I first read Colossians 3.17, but when I did, it rang true with the things that God has taught me about work over the years. I have always believed that you and I as Christians, if we are representing Christ, especially should demonstrate a high degree of competence. We should strive to do the work, our work excellently, so as to bring glory to Jesus. We can't just simply have a fish sign on our lapel or a bumper sticker and think that that will enable us to succeed. Work isn't just about succeeding or making money. Although those are wonderful blessings, work is one of the most important places where I learned to follow Jesus and where I had the privilege of discipling others. My work was a daily opportunity to bring glory to Christ, who saved me back when I was 19 years old and who has walked with me ever since. And now, since my retirement from Russell, I'm almost as busy as I ever was. I am involved, as many of you know, with the Ravi Zacharias International Ministry. And I've had the opportunity and the pleasure to speak on their behalf to groups of business people throughout the world. Pastor Mark has been talking about the sacred-secular divide. I'm glad to say that that doesn't exist here at this church. I'll bet there are some here this morning who have never considered that God might use them in their workplace to bring glory to Jesus. But I can tell you from a personal experience that when you make a commitment to the Lord, by His power, every word and every deed will bring honor to His name. God can do amazing things in and through you and me. If you sense that the Lord might be stirring you this morning in this regard, then I have some suggestions for you. Number one, why don't you pick up this book, which is called Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. It's an outstanding text on what work should be. It's being used, I know, by the worship team to... uh, craft some of the messages that you've heard over the last few weeks and that you will hear in the future. Number two, I would suggest, just like me, I found that a mentor in my life made a huge impact and difference. Could I suggest that those of you who are younger, who are in the work world, who need uh, a mentor, seek one out. They're easily available within this body or within uh, the, the mature Christian community that we enjoy here in Gig Harbor. And, by the way, if you don't need a mentor and you have the capability of mentoring somebody, well, why don't you start this week? You know somebody who could use that mentoring. Three, I would suggest that, like myself, every day I start my day in God's Word. And the way I do it is I use a, a, a daily devotional called Table Talk. It works for me. But whatever that might be for you, why don't you find a way to get into God's Word on a daily basis? And lastly, I would suggest that you bathe each day in prayer as you begin your day. Be thankful for the work that you have. I want to thank you all for the privilege of sharing a small part of my life 
with my sweetheart church. For the remaining days that God grants me here on earth, I pray that he will continue to remind me and you to have a servant's heart and recognize that I'm working for him and desire to have him say to me at the end of my career, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Isn't it a blessing to hear from one of our own sharing what God is doing in in their life? Thank you, brother. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do?